Hey, you. Thank you for listening to Go Chuck Yourself. I am, of course, talking to you and to no one else. That's right, specifically you. I know you're thinking, hey, he's talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. How's it going? Thanks for listening. This is Season 2, Episode 20 of Go Chuck Yourself. So that means we are doing Season 2, Episode 20 of Chuck, and that is Chuck versus the first kill. And I think uh, it was Rod Stewart who once said, uh, the first kill is the deepest. And then Cheryl Crow said it uh, shortly after him. Rod Stewart has also said that you can send us an email at gochuckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And Rod Stewart, perhaps best known for his uh, anthology of albums entitled at Go Chuck Podcast, which he named after our Twitter handle. Uh, Rod Stewart, of course, a big fan of the show. Rod Stewart, just like you should, has actually uh, subscribed and liked to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, where his music is available. Our podcasts are also available. Fun fact about uh, Go Chuck Yourself and our connection to Rod Stewart. And of course, don't forget to like and subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting platform. And if you want to separate yourself from Rod Stewart, maybe you're like, I want nothing to do with Rod Stewart. Well, here's how you do that. You write a review for our show and have it publicly posted on one of these podcasting platform sites. Rod Stewart has gone on the record as not having written any reviews for Go Chuck Yourself. So don't be like Rod Stewart and write us a review. I don't know. I feel like this started out as an advertisement for Rod Stewart and somehow devolved into some kind of editorial against Rod Stewart. Uh, we love Rod Stewart here at the show. Hope you're listening, Rod. I hope you enjoy the show. Here we go. You know what time it is. It's time for Go Chuck Yourself, but more specifically, a special holiday-themed episode version of Go Chuck Yourself. It is not a holiday episode of Chuck, or maybe it is. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Coming up, this is, of course, our Halloween episode. Halloween is this week when this episode is being released, so we are in the Halloween spirit here at Go Chuck Yourself. Uh, My name is Chris, uh, the, the bat... The bat person, Gillespie. <laughs> that's, a, that's nice. Gender neutral, uh, bad, bad person. Yes, bat person. My co-host right here is... I am the queen of Scream, Erin Arata. The bat person and the queen of Scream. Sounds like a great uh, show coming to the CW this fall. Ooh, shots fired. <laughs> uh, this is... Like we said, the Halloween episode, so I thought it would be uh, apropos to have some Chuck-themed Halloween costumes prepared. Uh, I did not prepare for this, well, just so everyone knows. I have, I have an idea for how you can uh, make up for that, Aaron. So okay. uh, we're going to take turns guessing each other's Chuck-themed Halloween costumes. So okay. I, will, uh, I will take mine out, and you can, uh, you can guess who I am. Are you Chuck? Well, what am I doing? Oh, uh, Chris is reading Marvel Comics 1000. I don't know that the comic is relevant, but he's reading, uh, facing a video screen, and he's reading for a very long time. He should be done with this page by now, but he's not turning the page. He's just kind of studying, almost as if there's um, something other than comics on the other side of that uh, that book cover. Am I correct? Yes. 
Okay, good, good, good. Yes, that was my costume. I was Chuck okay. studying schematics in a comic book as he was doing in the past few episodes. Um, I should I should note to audience members that when uh, when we logged on, you were in you were in on camera. So what I was expecting was that you were going to appear on camera like wearing some like very like detailed Emmett costume or something. <laughs> and you kept like kind of like walking by and I would see like little glimpses of your face. So I saw that you had a mustache, which you like normally have a mustache, but it's a little thicker this week. So <laughs> I was um, I thought maybe that was part of it. I thought maybe you were wearing a fake mustache. But no, that's just no. <laughs> that all of that was wrong. This is attached to my body. This is my mustache. I uh, cool. I shaved the chin part of it the other day. So now it is okay. just a mustache. Okay. Um, yes, I'm sorry that I don't have a full blown Emmett costume, although I wish that I did. Or specifically a uh, Emmett costume of what he dresses like on Valentine's Day, which is Emmett with a wig. So I would have oh, yeah, yeah. my hair and then a bald cap and then a wig on top of that bald cap, <laughs> which I guess is yeah, actually how most professional wigs work now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, yeah. So I uh, I will help you get in the Halloween spirit, Aaron, by uh, giving you a, a very simple guide to dressing like a pretty significant Chuck character, if you're interested. Okay. Um, okay so I, what I need you to do is uh, move away from your webcam. Okay. So right now I am looking at you basically nothing, just a blank wall. Aaron is nowhere to be found. And I am assuming that this costume must be uh, Chuck's mom. Oh, man, that was that was that was real shots fired. <laughs> Take that. Wow. I was going to I mean, it could have been more relevant for this season if you were Chuck's dad. But I mean, he, yeah. he did appear. So, yeah, he did I appear, guess if and, you uh, go, go back to the wall and then come back for like a second, but then go back to the wall, then it would be like Chuck's dad. Yeah. Um, or if I just kind of like point it away and point it back to myself and then point it away and point it back to myself. But every time I point it back to myself, like someone was demeaning me, I could be Anna. Oh, <laughs> pretty good. There you go. Or you could um, you could just really talk down to me and be condescending and you could just be Beckman. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because I am on a camera. You are. I am someone that you only ever see via camera. <laughs> and you uh, you pop up unexpectedly to scold me and always seem <laughs> just vaguely disappointed in what I've been doing. Uh, well, I'm sorry I'm giving you that impression. It's relevant to this episode because Beckman in this, this week maybe is the most disappointed and jaded in the Chuck mission that she's ever been. That's true. We will get to that. Uh, this episode, like I said, not necessarily a Halloween episode, but it does have its fair share of mysterious and gruesome deaths. Ooh, that's true. It's Chuck versus the first Ooh. kill. I don't know if we said that yet, uh, but I, I don't know. Also, Who knows? people wearing masks, mainly figurative masks. Ooh. Ah. So they uh, they tried hard not to make this a Halloween episode of Chuck, but God damn it, we will make it a Halloween episode of Chuck. We will. <laughs> it's not Chuck versus the sandworm, but damn it, it's Chuck versus the first kill. You've heard of Christmas in July, now uh, Halloween in April. This episode aired in April. Oh, okay, I was going to say it's October it's now not, and it's, it's not Halloween. April. It is Halloween for us. <laughs> um, I wanted to note, this is unrelated to Halloween, mm -hmm. but... Uh, I, I just wanted, in the spirit of full disclosure, I wanted to let everyone know that um, I am multitasking right now. I'm, in fact, deep conditioning my hair. Ooh, spooky. I, I felt kind of, um, this episode talks a lot about trust, and I really wanted, like, our 
audience to be able to trust me. So I wanted to, in the past, I haven't really let you know when I've been multitasking. I've recorded several episodes. I've been grocery shopping. I've been in the shower. Chuck versus the Crown Vic. I was on a plane. But uh, now... Now that, um, now I just want everyone to trust me. So I want you to know I am deep conditioning my hair. My hair will be getting very soft over the course of this episode. Oh. And, uh, yeah. So it's not, by the end, who knows? It's not changing colors though? No, I'm not, I'm not dyeing my hair. Oh, okay. I'm just conditioning They're it. They're two different things? Yes. Okay. Did you not know that? No. Uh, I don't. Do you use conditioner? No. Do you, what do you use? Shampoo. And then you just don't condition? Correct. Okay, I mean, I guess... I don't know. You know how soft my Some hair is. Some people don't condition their hair. I don't need conditioner. I, I bet Catherine conditions her hair. Yeah, probably. Okay, so no, I'm not dyeing my hair. I'm just conditioning it. It would have been cool if you were dyeing your hair so then at the end of this Halloween episode, you take your hair down and it's all like, you know, like green or, or black and white like the Bride of Frankenstein or orange like a, a pumpkin. That, I mean, that would be cool. That's not really how dyeing your hair works, but I'll, I'll let you have that one. <laughs> Well, if that's not how dyeing your hair works, why don't you tell me about how season two, episode 20 works, Aaron? <laughs> okay, I will. Um, my first note is just to say that I can't believe we're on episode 20. 2-0. Yeah, that just seems crazy. Like, that, I, I never thought we'd get here. Um, I never thought Chuck would get here. But here we are. We're at episode 20. We're in the double digits. Well, I guess we were in the double digits before. Yeah, but I guess we're specifically in the, in the 20s. Yes. One more the roaring twenties. One more episode, and the the season can start uh, legally purchasing alcohol. Yeah, great. Um, so the episode begins with some what I would call interesting information. The interesting information is that Sarah arrives in the Bymore with a new flavor of froyo called Obama guava. <laughs> I, Through dialogue, it's revealed that the government is responsible for flavors created at Orange Orange. So I really want to discuss the implications of that. <laughs> Chris, uh, I, uh, <laughs> um, I guess this was the first episode that they recorded after Obama was inaugurated, potentially. I mean, yeah, that's that's fine. That's not really what I'm worried about here. It's just that with with the Wienerlicious, the implications were that the Wienerlicious is like an existing franchise that Sarah just had a had a hand yep. in. Um, we 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 discussed the various possibilities there, but that seems to be what the show is going for. Mm -hmm. The Orange Orange, though, seems to be run specifically by the CIA. Do you think there's teams of the CIA who are developing flavors and developing concepts for flavors and names and everything? Or do you think that was just a joke that Sarah was making? Like, what do you think is going on here? I, they probably develop flavors um, and names of things. Is Froyo a government conspiracy? I, I guess so. I mean, okay. I guess they could just, if they were to make a Froyo for 2019, they would just be able to, like, I guess have like a self-titled Froyo, Orange Orange being the presidential suite. Uh, oh, dear. Uh, I think, well, maybe, what if Wienerlicious is a franchise, but it's the it's still a CIA franchise. So wherever there's, C oh, that, okay. wherever there's CIA agents stationed around the country, it's just a Wienerlicious. Oh, that's a good... Okay, that's actually very smart. Thank you. Okay. I like to think that so I'm now, very smart. Now that we've uh, answered that question, let's move on. Uh, Chuck is still down in the dumps about his dad being kidnapped and forced to work on an evil computer by a criminal mastermind. <sighs> what a baby. So, 
<laughs> He's not down to try the new yogurt. He says he doesn't trust the government to do its best to find Stephen because the government wants the intersect to stay in Chuck's head and Stephen is the only person who can get it out. Sarah says, I know you don't trust them, but do you trust me? Chuck says he does, but he tells her to hurry. Which, I don't know. I mean, I've, I'm on Chuck's side being worried for his dad, but I'm also... It, it seemed a little cavalier for him to just be like, hurry, Sarah. Make. I guess, I guess he's worried about... I don't know. I mean, they're not going to... I don't know. He's worried about his dad. That's fine. Make the government move faster. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can all agree. We can all, uh, we've all felt that at some point in our lives. Yes. All of the uh, constant never ending gridlock that is in yep. our federal government. Um, yeah. The, I think it's important to note to the listener that uh, Chuck trusting Sarah is a major uh, theme in this, this week's episode. Yes. Trust is a major component. Uh, yes. So keep that in mind. Keep it, keep it in the back of your mind as we move ahead. Mm-hmm. We cut to some kind of staff meeting uh, at the Bymore where apparently everyone notices Chuck is a bit less chipper than usual because Morgan gives Chuck a kind of pep talk to cheer him up. And Big Mike, apropos of nothing, says, Bartowski, get it together. <laughs> Which I thought I really liked. I thought that was funny. <laughs> what I don't like as much is the scene that follows... Uh, we learn that some people from corporate, or specifically one person, uh, are coming to evaluate Emmett, and he will not be tolerating any funny business from an employees trying to get him into trouble. We also learn that you can say whore on network television. I was uh, very excited to see Anna back after a few episodes until, you know, uh, that happened. Um, specifically, I mean, I don't, I don't know that we have to get into it in detail, but Emmett makes a comment about Anna's wardrobe. Um, which involves the word for so you can you can extrapolate from that what you will or you can watch this episode um i know that emmett kind of like he's he's not really a redeemable character and i know we've talked about the issues with characters who are redeemable having bad behavior versus characters who aren't necessarily as redeemable but this was just disappointing because like anna's been away and considering how she's been treated by the quote unquote redeemable characters in the past this was just kind of disappointing and unnecessary i thought the jokes about the male characters like jeff wearing his pants too low fine that's fine um i don't i don't remember there was a joke about lester i don't remember what it was um it was about oh it's about combing his hair Mm. so like neither of those were like sexually demeaning um and we're fine but calling anna a whore not as not as fine yeah they could have had a joke where it could just be about Anna's performance or her behavior or yeah. something that yeah. is not... Yeah, could have done it. I mean, he could have even said, like, stop even, like, even if it was just that she was, like, clinging to Morgan. Like, that mm. would be, like, typical of what they're doing, but he would just be like, stop the PDA. Like, that's, that's fine. That's reasonable. I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't great. I was wondering when I was watching the scene why Emmett just didn't tell them that someone was coming because it seemed like he was digging his own grave to alert them to the presence of a like corporate person because they're going to obviously behave badly. But that uh, that is that becomes clear later in the episode. Mm. So predictably, with this information that someone from corporate is coming, the Boimar employees enter the home theater room. Not to discuss embarrassing memories from their past, but to discuss Emmett's demand that they behave. Morgan and I had the same thought in that Morgan knows Emmett wouldn't just tell them to behave without knowing they'd do the opposite. There's some relatively confusing reverse psychology discussion that is supposed to be a reference to the Princess Bride, apparently. Um, 
I like The Princess Bride. That went over my head, but uh, Wikipedia did not miss it. This ends with Morgan telling everyone to get misbehaving. Emmett watches from some security cameras as this discussion occurs, and he says, God, I love technology. He doesn't seem particularly phased either, so something is not as it seems. I also wanted to point out that uh, our friend Jesse uh, Hyman, nay Fernando, mm-hmm. looks like he got a haircut this week. Oh, yeah, he's looking good. Yeah, he's looking very sharp. In Castle, Beckman has an update for Chuck, but it's really just to say that the government hasn't managed to find any further information about his father. Chuck says this isn't good enough. He's furious that he's done absolutely everything the government has asked him to do, but now that his father has been kidnapped by Fulcrum, the government seems to have its hands tied. Chuck asks about getting a captured Fulcrum agent to talk, and Casey says that without being able to use legal torture, this is a non-option. Chuck says he's willing to do whatever it takes, so what if he could get an agent to talk? I'll admit that when I saw Jill in the episode recap, I was like, oh god, but now I'll admit that now that I know that where we're going with this, I was like, oh, fuck, yeah. <laughs> and I, I just want to clarify there that I don't, I wasn't excited at the idea of Jill being mercilessly tortured. That wasn't uh, what I wanted. I was just excited to uh, see her come back in a way that isn't uh, Chuck, isn't making her part of a love triangle, I guess I'll say. I was surprised to see her back as well. Uh, yeah. When they, when she appeared in Chuck saying, here are some things you may need to know. Yeah. I was thinking that maybe he would say, you know, after like, hi, I'm Chuck. Here are some things you may need to know. He would tell us about how to, you know, like open a a Roth IRA (laughs) or how to fix your sink or how to efficiently pack a suitcase so you can fit all of your Uh, hair dyeing works. How hair dyeing works like things that, you know, it would just be think if you started an episode of Chuck and you're like, all right, I'm ready to have a good time. And then he starts. He's like, oh, by the way, here's like some pointers about how to like parallel park. Or something like that. You're like, yeah, I did need to know that. Thanks. Like, yeah, on with the nice. episode. Thanks, it would be helpful. But who knows? Maybe in the uh, gritty Chuck reboot that will come out in 20 years. Yeah. Ah, more like 10. It's been off the air for 12. That's so. true. That's a very yeah. good point. 10 years. Something to look forward to. So Chuck goes to some kind of secure government facility and walks down a hallway lined with high security doors with prisoners looking out. Wikipedia did not say this, but I thought it kind of seemed like Silence of the Lambs a little bit. Do you think that? Uh, yeah, that, that would make sense, I would think. Yeah. Um, he gets to the biggest, scariest looking door, which is at the end, and it does not have a window. He opens it, and there's Jill. She says, hi, Chuck, and he says, hi, Jill, in case we forgot who she was. Mm. I like to think that this is what it will be like when I have to visit you in jail. Oh. In a high-security prison. Uh, great, okay. Um... We, we could discuss that further later. <laughs> I have some news. <laughs> Stay tuned. Um, in an empty prison cafeteria, Chuck talks to Jill. She looks tired, and Jordana Brewster plays her as a little rundown or dulled by almost a full season in prison, but she definitely still looks beautiful and everything. Um, she is reluctant to help Chuck at first, and he tells her he knows she's mad at him, but it's not his fault she betrayed her country or him. She says she might be able to help him, but she wants a deal. He says he's not authorized to make a deal, and Sarah and Casey, who are listening in, are impressed until Chuck says he might be able to make an exception. So then he calls the banker that's sitting up in the balcony in the shadows (laughs) and has a phone call with the banker and then comes off the phone and says, "Okay, the banker wants to make a deal. He'll give you $50,000 for that case if you stop playing now and Jill goes no deal and slams the, the the case over the button shut wow 
That's uh <laughs> Chuck fist pumps her because he doesn't want to shake her hand. That's a great crossover. That's some great fan fiction you've got written there. <laughs> Chuck Dealer No Deal fan fiction. Where is Dealer No Deal also in DC? Yeah, it was. Oh, okay. Back at the Bymore, the employees are acting not that much different from usual, to be honest. Um, they're always bad, but now Morgan has his collar popped and his hair spiked up, so you know things are serious. They're like they're playing rock band and pushing each other around in carts and ignoring lines of customers. Skip Johnson isn't wearing pants, I think. Anna, God help her, brings Morgan a note from Emmett to meet him in the storage cage. Morgan goes in and Emmett sneaks up on him, revealing that if he can get his band of merry misfits to behave in front of corporate, Emmett will be promoted and be out of their hair forever. He and Morgan decide to make a deal. Also making a deal are our favorite team of spies who have released Jill from prison with an ankle monitor to answer questions she could have definitely answered while still in jail. They bring her all the way to Castle so she can give some exposition, which is that her Uncle Bernie, who recruited her into Fulcrum, might know where Stephen is being kept, but he's guarded everywhere except for at family functions. Nothing is coming up, so Chuck says they'll have to create their own. We cut to a party at Jill's where she announces, I'm engaged! If she has to tell people that, I don't know what they think they're at a party for. Also, where does family, where does Jill's family think she's been for months now? Uh, does the government not tell families when they put someone in jail? Jill's dad reveals that they thought she was living in Helsinki, so I guess not. Uh, in his toast, Jill's dad goes on to say he knows Chuck and Jill have had their problems, but they've been right for each other from the start. Sarah is listening in, and she seems sad, although I'm not exactly sure why. Uh, I have a, I have just a lot of questions here, and we don't have to get into all of them, but I'm just like, nobody knew Jill was in jail? Like, they just thought that they weren't hearing from her for months? I guess so. I think she must have just, before she went to jail, she must have had to, like, tell him, like, hey, I'm moving very far away, and you'll never hear from me again. I mean, yeah, I guess. It's also, like... They knew about Chuck and Jill. I don't know what they thought was, like, her family, I don't know if they're supposed to be really dumb or if it's just, like, they just didn't care enough to expand on it, because this is kind of a minor part of this episode, mm. but, like, it just seems like Chuck and Jill were broken up for, like, eight years, and then they're, like, back to, then they're just like, we're engaged now. Where did they connect? Was Chuck in Helsinki? What was going on? The scene is uh, pretty, it seems pretty underwritten and pretty slapdash in many ways. Just a little bit. Um, yeah, I was kind of confused. Like, oh, you know, they've had their ups and downs. Like, yeah, their downs of being broken up for eight years. Like, is that what you? Yeah. It was very strange. As the toast is finishing up, Uncle Bernie arrives. Casey tells Chuck to watch out because Bernie is a madman known as the carnivore. <laughs> I guess they've researched him since a few minutes ago when they didn't know an Uncle Bernie existed. <laughs> Bernie arrives and Jill's dad says, Jill's engaged. Bernie seems surprised that Jill is out and about. Meanwhile, Chuck flashes on Bernie and sees some pretty terrifying images of him shooting people and eating a lot of meat. He ate a 96-pound steak. I don't think that's possible. Maybe maybe ounces? I now I need to look at the Wikipedia again, because that that doesn't seem let's see. Um 96 ounce. Okay, it's not 96 pounds. That's that's like a deer. Yeah, that's like a, a small person. Yeah, that's Anna. Anna's 96 pounds. Is she really? Well, that's what that's what Morgan said in one of the previous episodes. Wow, your memory is firing on all cylinders today. I know. 
Rainey approaches Chuck and Jill while Jill's dad says, We were just telling Chuck and Jill how a good marriage is based on trust. Your spouse should be the only person you rely on. One, no, they weren't just saying that. They were talking about something completely different, and Jill's dad wasn't even over there. Two, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think you can rely on other people than someone who you are married to. And three, this party sounds like it sucks. Everybody's just giving Chuck and Jill advice. They should do better. I don't know. Also, Chuck, Jill's family was very available at a very last minute notice, I suppose. Yes, but I, they were. I guess if you had a relative that's like, hey, they're back from Europe for one day only. You're like, all right, I guess I have to go to that. Yeah, I mean, I could I could see that happening. I feel like just they're boring people and no one wants to hang out with them. That's probably why they're available. Ouch, that's mean. Yep, that's me, the queen of the queen of mean and scream. <laughs> She's got a double major in screaming and meaning. Yes, I do. Bernie introduces himself to Chuck and gives him a big hug. He has to borrow the couple and bring them upstairs, which is really weird, but Jill's parents go along with it, adding, Bernie didn't like Jill's last boyfriend, and that's the last we saw of him. Do you think? Because they know that Chuck and Jill dated, and I don't know, maybe Jill has dated since, like, since graduating college, but, like, do you think they mean Bryce? That's what I was wondering. Hmm. But I guess she says she didn't really sleep with Bryce. So maybe she never, she would have never brought him home. I don't know who they're referring to here because I feel like Chuck would be her last boyfriend. I'm going to say it's not Bryce because the scene is so confusing and underwritten <laughs> that there's no way that they were alluding to Bryce in a very subtle one-off line like that is my guess. Something that I just want to note here is that the um, cast, the credits for the episode refer to Jill anytime she's on screen or in the episode as Dr. Jill Roberts. It's not just Jill or Jill Roberts. So I like that they're giving her her title. So Bernie brings Chuck and Jill into what is presumably Jill's childhood bedroom. He immediately pulls a gun on them, asking how Jill got out of prison. Jill says she made a deal with the CIA, and Chuck explains that Bernie can get witness protection too. Instead, he chases them through the multi-floor upstairs as Hungry Like the Wolf plays. It made me very excited because I was thinking of the big fat liar with with your friend. You want to shout his name? Frankie Muniz! Thank you. But also, seriously, how how big is Jill's house? It's massive. It has three floors and an attic? It's so big. It's gigantic. Sarah and Casey don't want to blow Chuck's cover, so they come in posing as Chuck's cousin and her boyfriend. I was actually really hoping that there would be some, like, Chuck and Sarah kissing in this episode and everybody would be like, oh, that's... But she said he was his cousin, but that was too much to hope for. Jill's dad makes a joke about how they're like Beauty and the Beast and Casey must be loaded. Which is weird, and also I don't think Adam Baldwin is, like, ugly. Like, Jill's parents are bad. <laughs> I appreciate it. I think it's funny anyone, anytime anyone makes fun of Casey for no reason, and Casey kind of has to grin and bear it. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's fun. Before Casey and Sarah can get upstairs, Bernie chases Chuck and Jill into the attic. Chuck reasons that Bernie can't shoot them because the family will hear it, but Bernie says he can still beat Chuck to death. I feel like they'd hear that, too, because uh, Chuck would probably be screaming and stuff. But, uh, okay. As he's preparing to hit Chuck with a baseball bat, Bernie clutches his heart and dies. He's dead. Casey runs up the stairs and tells Chuck this is his first confirmed kill. Casey asked Chuck the pose he was making when Bernie was coming after him, and by that he means uh, Chuck was hiding his face and covering his crotch, kind of in a a, a strange little stance. Chuck says yep. that this move is called the Morgan, because it's what Morgan used to do when he had to uh, protect his important parts when girls were beating him up in high school. 
probably well deservedly, we will know, based on flashbacks that we've seen before, I'm sure he deserved to be beaten up by whatever girls were doing that. Yes, and uh, similar to Trust, the Morgan is also a reoccurring motif in this episode, so uh, keep that in your mind. Uh, I was both surprised and not surprised by how fast we arrive at the Weekend at Bernie's reference. In the following scene, Chuck and Casey carry Bernie out of the house, saying that he passed out because he was too drunk. The family seems to believe this, and then Casey shows off his ventriloquism skills to make it seem like Bernie is talking and waving, even though he's dead. As this is happening, Chuck turns around to see Jill saying goodbye to her parents. He knows that Jill knows she's going back to prison and will never see them again. Once Jill's parents shut the door and return to the party, Casey says to Chuck, way to go, killer. You just off the only person who knows where your dad is. I don't I mean, that's not true. That's that's definitively not true. Other people know where his dad is. Well, I definitely I agree. The scene like I don't know if you felt emotional at this scene, but I I was thinking that it must be pretty emotionally complex for Jill to be returning to her home and knowing she's not going to be able to see her family afterwards. And this is her big goodbye. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was pretty effective. Yeah, I uh, I I felt empathy for her as well because it was kind of a nice touch because they don't really spell it out like, you know, oh, Jill's never going to see her parents again, but you can kind of pick up on what's going on. Yeah, I like that. Like, as we've said, the scene is the whole scene with her family is pretty underwritten, but I like that they took a moment to highlight that. Mm -hmm. The next day at the Buy More, Morgan has convinced the nerd her to dress up in formal wear as part of his agreement to get Emmett promoted and out of Burbank. Emmett comes by the desk with someone from Buy More Corporate, who we find out his name is Mr. Mercer, and the nerd herd is on their best behavior. Emmett tells the corporate rep, Mr. Mercer, that he won't find any better tech support anywhere in the land, and Lester even says that he considers Emmett to be a personal hero of his. Morgan and Jeff both offer their own praise of Emmett, Jeff by saying that he used to, quote, violate himself, end quote, at work, but now, quote, only violates himself at home and in the car, but never in a nerd herd mobile. End quote again. They all. Can you also highlight what they're wearing here? They're wearing suit coats. Yeah, it's really weird. Like the I, the buy more like the uh, nerd herd uniform makes sense. Like because it's like they're wearing a shirt and tie like that looks professional. But when they and Anna all have like blazers or suit coats on, it just looks it looks very weird. They kind of look like Morgan in the one where he was dressed like a, a boat captain. Yeah, kind of has the same kind of three button jacket. Yeah, it's the same vibe. The nerd herd refers to Emmett as their captain and Emmett and Mr. Mercer walk away. And Lester tells Morgan that he better be right about this plan to get Emmett out of Burbank. Back at Castle, Sarah tells Chuck that they're sending Jill back to prison. Sarah says that the mission was a bust and that Jill put them in danger. But Chuck says everything that went wrong was because of Bernie and that they still need Jill because she's a fulcrum agent and knows all of fulcrum secrets. Sarah shoots Chuck with a look that says, I'm going to shoot you for real. (laughs) Chuck knows what this look means, and he apologizes to Sarah that Jill tried to kill her a few weeks ago, but he needs Jill in order to find his dad. Sarah says that Chuck can't trust Jill, and Chuck says that he doesn't trust anyone besides Sarah, and he needs Sarah to trust him when he says that Jill is the only way to rescue his dad. But Sarah don't give a shit and says the answer is no. Yep, she really doesn't this week. It was a pretty uh, fraught scene. Morgan calls Chuck to ask him an urgent question at this moment, which just happens to be very apropos to Chuck's current situation. (laughs) Morgan asks Chuck, just out of the blue, what do you do when the person you trust the least has the thing you want the most? To which Chuck responds, sometimes you just need to trust a person and do whatever it takes. So 
Morgan is referring to Emmett uh, having the thing that Morgan wants, which is Emmett to not be there. And Chuck is referring to Jill having the information about his dad. Yeah, they are equally weighty things. Apparently, Jill has been in a holding cell in Castle this entire time. So Chuck walks over to her and tells her that they're sending her back to prison. Yippee! Jill is understanding and says that she's happy that she got to see her family one last time, but she's sorry that she couldn't actually help him. Chuck jokes that he didn't realize how lethal the Morgan pose was. And Jill says that she's glad that Chuck hasn't lost his sense of humor. She tells Chuck that the government changed her for the worse, but not to let them change him. Jill says she liked wearing the engagement ring, even if it was only for a few hours. We hear the kind of sad downbeat song that is usually reserved for the end of the episode. (laughs) When Jill says uh, to Chuck, even when they find Stephen, the CIA and NSA won't let Chuck go because they're just like fulcrum and they all lie. They're two sides of the same coin. Chuck is very vulnerable and confused at this point, likely because of the sad music playing. And Jill tells him to, quote, watch his back. Back at the old buy more. Mr. Mercer says to uh, Skip Johnson that he has a bright future ahead of him, specifically in the field of transcendental meditation and neuroscience. (laughs) Okay, so Amazon here has the subtitle where it has a subtitle of Skip responding and saying it's all because of Emmett, but that's not... Skip definitely doesn't speak. His lips definitely do not move, and I did not hear him say that. Thank you, Amazon, for giving us the truth. Yes. The uh, <laughs> Someone listening to the show for the first time uh, is probably very confused about why we are following <laughs> Fernando and Skip Johnson, but uh, go. Well, because they're the best of the green shirts. They got a lot going on. Listen to our, yeah. our back episodes, and you'll, yeah, you'll know that. Those two are the ones, like, when I was watching this show on my own, those two are the two that I, like, think of when I think of the green shirts. They're the ones I notice. Mm-hmm. And also Bunny. Bunny is good. But Bunny hasn't had a lot to do recently. Yeah, I don't know if they cut back her hours or if they just fire yeah. her. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Morgan watches on, proud of the scene between Mr. Mercer and Skip Johnson. <laughs> Morgan asks Emmett when he's going to be leaving, and Emmett says that he still needs another favor from Morgan. Morgan needs to get the king, a.k.a. Big Mike, to, quote, kiss Emmett's ring. Morgan asks Emmett why Mr. Mercer can't just talk to Big Mike directly, but Emmett says that Big Mike will never say kind words about Emmett because he needs Emmett and doesn't want him to leave the store because if Emmett leaves, Big Mike will have to work and expend energy on the store. Morgan is still kind of unconvinced by this, but then Emmett points out that if Big Mike is expending energy on the store, then he won't have any energy left to expend it on Morgan's mom. Oh. So if the logic here, uh, yeah, Big Mike will have to do more work and will thus be doing less sex with Emmett gone, but with Emmett present, Big Mike will be doing less work and more sex. So we want to get the sex number down. So therefore we have to increase the workload. It's yeah, that's the equation. It's science 101, everyone. <laughs> Morgan's on board now with the plan and asks what Emmett wants him to do exactly. Emmett takes out a digital audio recorder and tells Morgan to record Big Mike saying kind things about Emmett so he can share it with Mr. Mercer. This, Emmett believes, is the final step in Emmett getting promoted out of Burbank. Morgan is hesitant because uh, it would be a breach of protocol for Big Mike to talk about any other Bymore employees to Morgan, but Emmett assures him that every man has a weakness and then says, Quote, mine, for instance, is Renaissance fairs. <laughs> mine, too. I love Renaissance fairs. Thought about your dad for a moment. <laughs> Morgan ponders this and Emmett says, quote, grease his wheels. What's the one thing that Big Mike can't get enough of? 
I was, I mean, I thought that this was a reference to Morgan's mother, but it's not. Right, a few things come to mind. I was thinking donuts. Uh, yeah, donuts fishing. Fishing was the other one, yeah, and Morgan's mom. Yeah. We were on the same page, same wavelength. Yep. We just crushed that, <laughs> this game of family feud. We did. <laughs> but what is, what is the actual answer? The actual answer is we cut to inside of Big Mike's office where Morgan walks in with none of these things. Instead, Morgan enters with a delectable chicken teriyaki footlong from our friends at Subway as well as a large soda. Big Mike is excited and proceeds to have a religious experience as he bites into the sandwich. I really wanted a Subway sandwich right now, so this product I know, that placement was, my, was working. That was my Subway choice um, when I was younger, the chicken teriyaki. I'm not big on teriyaki. He says some lines, Big Mike that is, uh, which are basically just ripped from a Subway commercial and it <laughs> designed to make us want Subway, but then he puts yep. a personal spin on it by saying, quote, flavors melt together in perfect harmony, just like me and your mother. And then we cut to a photo of Big Mike and Bologna in a pretty candid scene. It looked like in a, yeah. a Japanese restaurant, maybe. Yeah, they, he has a lot of pictures of her and they were all like pretty nice. They were nice. I was wondering like how the set designer got those. Do you think it's like, hey, you guys actually have to go on a date and we'll take pictures of it? Or how do they recreate those? I don't know, but it's it's always nice when they do, when they take the time to do that. And it's not just like badly photoshopped. <laughs> like Chuck and Sarah's house in the suburbs. Yep. <laughs> As the sandwich eating is going on, Morgan asks Big Mike what he thinks about Emmett. And Big Mike says that he shouldn't talk about employees to other employees. But Morgan says, don't think of me as an employee, dad. Think of me <laughs> as family. And this melts Big Mike's heart like the cheese on a delicious $5 foot long from Subway. So Big Mike says, you're right. If you can't trust family, who can you trust? Now, this serves as a dramatic transition back into Castle, where Casey and Sarah are putting heavy-duty chains on Jill as they release her from the holding cell. Jill says goodbye to Chuck, and Chuck says, quote, thanks for trying. Then, at this point, Uncle Bernie's cell phone starts ringing from inside Uncle Bernie's body bag. Chuck has no hesitation about going over to the body bag and unzipping it and watching as Vincent once again emerges from the body bag. <gasps> ah! Vincent just keeps popping up. Just kidding. It's just Uncle Bernie who's still dead. I thought he would be like more grossly dead. I know it's it hasn't really been that long. Yeah, you'd think for a Halloween episode that they would kind of really, you know, give yeah, him play it up. Play up the heart. Make him a little bit more spooky. Yeah. Chuck reaches into the pants pocket and pulls out an iPhone that is receiving a call from an unknown number. Chuck somehow knows that this is Fulcrum, but I don't know about you, but I get phone calls all the time from numbers I don't know, and they're not Fulcrum, <laughs> so I don't know why Chuck's yeah, like, it's Fulcrum. Yeah, I think we've talked about this before. How do we, it's Fulcrum. That could just be a telemarketer, who knows. I got a call um, that was in Japanese the other day, so that could have been Fulcrum. It could have been. Casey tells Chuck not to answer it, because, you know, why would you answer it? But Chuck does anyways. Chuck answers the phone and says, quote, go for Bernie, not even attempting to copy Bernie's voice. The voice on the other end says that they're relocating Orion and that the boss wants everyone back to base. Chuck relays this to Sarah and Casey, and they tell him to keep the fulcrum agent on the line as long as possible so they can triangulate the call. This is a real 180 for Casey, who a moment ago told Chuck not even to answer the phone, but is now <laughs> asking Chuck to stay on the phone as long as possible. You would kind of think that the fulcrum people would have like some kind of code. Like they would say like the... The bird is in the sky, and then you would have to respond with, like, chirp, chirp, and then they would go into their mission, but they, they don't. Beautiful weather we're having today. Yes, but I chirp, prefer chirp. a little bit more clouds in the sky. Well, I'm sure it will be raining soon. 
Yeah, yours yours sounded like an actual um, like spy code. Mine sounded kind of like an improv team's slogan that they say after every sketch. <laughs> so at the end of the scene, you'll hear us say chirp, chirp, and you know it's done. Yep. <laughs> Chuck tells the Fulcrum agent that he wants to discuss a few things and, you know, just to keep him on the line. And the agent is very confused. Similar to Aaron and myself, Chuck is bad at improvising. He eventually <laughs> says that he wants to talk about his fulcrum salary and the agent on the other end is really baffled. But the call tracking is working, so Chuck keeps going. Chuck adds that he wants to talk about his dental plan and vacation time and getting a gym membership. Sarah and Casey successfully locate where the call is coming from and Chuck quickly hangs up. This, I have to say, is still less awkward than me when I need to talk about my employment benefits. <laughs> I hate doing it. I never know when the appropriate time is. I don't know who you can talk to about it. I just I don't like it. Doesn't feel good. It's bad. I know it's always bad. I know everyone has benefits and you're supposed to be able to talk to people about it. And like no one works aside from the fact that you can get paid and benefits. But I always feel weird acknowledging the fact that I get paid at work to people at work. Yeah, Yeah, no, I definitely I feel the same. I feel like you just kind of pretend that you're working there for free. You're like, oh, well, I mean, if. If you want to talk about my salary, I mean, you know. Or if you have to be like, oh, wow, I wonder, you know, I would like to. The holidays are coming up. I better try to figure out my holiday plan. Oh, that means talking about time off. I'm sure no one in my office, you know, celebrates the holidays in any way that will be. No, they're like, what? You want want time off for a holiday slacker? You're fired. (laughs) Yep, that's what will happen. (laughs) Anyhow, my anxieties aside. Sarah and Casey read the address where the call was originating from uh, just out loud. Jill says that she knows that building. It's home of the Strength Leadership Group, which uh, I'm sure everyone here is familiar with, especially Aaron being in Los Angeles. Yep. Yeah, they're they're very popular here. So I hate to break it to you, Aaron, but it's actually a uh, a front for Fulcrum. Oh, no. Yeah, it's not a corporate leadership and CEO training center because that's a thing that exists Damn it. Chuck asks why they take his dad there. And Jill says that they keep prisoners on the eighth floor. So I guess it's a that's a reasonable explanation. Not a lot of tiptoeing around that. That's where they keep. It's pretty weird that they keep them like on a higher floor as opposed to like in a basement location. Yeah, I mean, is that weird? I don't know. I feel like on shows, the prisoners are always like in the basement. I don't know. I think you can go to any office building in America and find prisoners on all floors. (laughs) Okay. boom, you're right. That's my scalding take. (laughs) Sarah and Casey are skeptical about trusting Jill, but Chuck says that they need to believe her. And I really have to, you know, Chuck, did you not learn anything from the last time that you did this dance with Jill? This is exactly how it played out before. Chuck being like, you need to trust her. And they're like, no, we can't trust her. And he's like, no, but I trust her. And then she turned their, you know, she went rogue and and tried to attack them and kill them. And she was evil the whole time. Yeah, she did. Anyhow, everyone hops. Chuck is trusting. He's a trusting. Believe that. Everyone hops in the spy van and heads over to the strength leadership uh, center. Casey and Chuck pose as CEOs and enter the building while Jill and Sarah keep tabs on them from the van. I'm assuming this is commentary about the uh, disproportionate amount of male CEOs in tech companies as opposed to female CEOs, but maybe it's not. Jill tells Chuck that he can't trust anyone there, no matter how mundane it seems, because everyone there is fulcrum. Every single person is fulcrum. Upon entering the building, Chuck is overwhelmed by how much he's flashing on everyone. But Casey tells him that if worse comes to worse, Chuck can always do the Morgan. 
I was like, yeah, okay, we get it. We're, we remember the Morgan. We know that the Morgan's coming back. We, we know. We, <laughs> we know the Morgan. Jill instructs them to sign in at the front desk for, quote, auditing, and this allows Chuck and Casey to get to the second floor. From the second floor, they sneak off and get into the elevator to the eighth floor, where, where Jill believes Chuck's dad is being held. But when they arrive on the eighth floor, a security guard redirects them back to the second floor. So that was pointless. It was a bust. Chuck and Casey are scolded for being late to the auditing by the fulcrum instructor, who's um, just kind of like a, a mean lady, I guess. I don't, I don't yeah, know. She's, she's the real queen of mean. She's who taught me everything I know. Are, <laughs> wait, are you fulcrum? Is this your way of saying that you're a fulcrum? I, I told you I, I told you I had news. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> okay, spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> Chuck and Casey sit down at the desk and the instructor tells them that before the auditing begins, they all need to watch an introduction video. The video is just a bunch of stock photos with a voiceover of a woman saying that employment at Fulcrum is an opportunity to solve some of the world's most dangerous problems. The test then begins on the touchscreens in front of them. Wait, 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 wait. You saw those like subliminal images in there though, right? Hmm? You saw like the subliminal images. What do you mean? Like they had like they cut to like bloody hands and like people with guns and all that stuff. Yeah, I guess I. okay. so maybe it wasn't just stock photos. Maybe there was also. I mean, it was stock photos of of bloody hands. Well, maybe I just failed the auditing. Maybe this is why I don't work for Fulgrim, but you do because you saw the the coded images. I saw them. I thought they were pretty obvious. Well, that's because you're so good at psychology and symbolism that. Yes, you're right. So in this situation, Chuck is Aaron because Chuck is doing a good job on the test. And I am Casey because Casey doesn't take the test seriously and uh, wants to look at Chuck's answers. But Chuck won't let him as they're. Did you look at the test? Like what the questions were? I did. What what were they? They are kind of basic personality type questions that you might encounter. Okay. Like, you know, when this happens, how do you feel or do you think that you're someone that enjoys being around other people? Would people describe you as outgoing? How important is your sense of justice in your life? Things like that. Okay, so here's what I was wondering. These are some questions for you. Do you think Chuck actually did well and Casey actually did poorly? And like, that's just like, take that at face value. Do you think Casey actually did well and Chuck actually did poorly and they were just pretending that it was otherwise because they already knew their identity? Or do you think that Chuck was just better at figuring out which answers Fulcrum would like and therefore did well, but he didn't do well on purpose? Because I feel like Casey would do well on this test and Chuck would do poorly because Chuck would be like, I value, like the first question was about like, how willing are you to help other people or whatever? I feel like Chuck would say yes to that. So I feel like Chuck would do badly on this test. Yes, this is interesting. I think it's important to note that as they're completing the test, uh, the security agent from before reports to some boss uh, about Chuck and Casey. And yeah, his name is like Bill or something. Yes, his name is uh, I have it right here. His name is Bill Berge. And uh, Bill Berge is using hidden cameras to scan Chuck and Casey's faces and run them through the government database. And they find out that Chuck is Orion's son and that Casey works for the NSA. So the they come down or the instructor tells Chuck that he, uh, you know, like passed the test. Um, but that's actually that's in a moment before we get to that point. Back at the Bymore, Mr. Mercer is finishing up his own audit of Emmett. He seems to be pleased with how well Emmett is doing, but says that he just needs to interview Big Mike himself to complete the audit. 
Emmett tells him that Big Mike left for the day and then plays the recording of Big Mike speaking to Morgan. Uh, turns out Big Mike really just kind of talked about how Emmett's present presence in the store allows him to come and go as he pleases. Mr. Mercer is pissed that he's there to interview Big Mike, but Big Mike is off for the day fishing. Morgan overhears all of this from a nearby aisle and starts to worry. We kind of start hearing almost like Star Wars Duel of the Fates-esque very <laughs> dramatic music as this is going on. And Morgan's realizing mm-hmm. that he made a, a deal with the devil. Mr. Mercer mm-hmm. then says to Emmett that he knows Emmett's been gunning for Big Mike's job all this time. And now Emmett can finally have it. It's time to pro- promote Emmett to the position of store manager. And Morgan hears this and recognizes it as the ultimate betrayal. <gasps> I can't believe it. So if this amount of distrust and uh, I guess misplaced faith is happening in the B plot, that doesn't make me feel too great about what's happening in the A plot. But we'll see if they're parallel or not back at the straight strength leading industries or whatever. <laughs> K- yep, that was that sounded right. Casey and Chuck finish the test and the fulcrum instructor tells Chuck that he passed the test and qualifies for an interview while Casey had one of the lowest test scores ever. Chuck tries to convince the instructor to consider Casey for physical labor role, but she's not having it and takes Chuck away to to meet with someone else. Sarah tells me with Bill. Sarah tells Casey to let Chuck go because they can track him using his watch and he'll be fine. So back to your question, doing well on the test doesn't necessarily mean that it's the right way. Like it could be inverted. You know what I mean? Like Fulcrum could be using this process to weed out people like Chuck by if you get like a good grade on the test and you like you know you score properly it means you're the wrong kind of person to work at fulcrum so you actually really want to have a low score because it means that you're okay. more like um casey-esque okay but, i mean i think i think we have a lot more thoughts about this test than the writers of truck maybe had about this test that's fair but i think it's also i think it's hard to say because it seems like they maybe i think the most likely situation is that bill saw the you know was like oh bring chuck up but keep him away from the nsa handler so this seems like a good way to divide them so i'm gonna go with yeah i think i would agree that that's probably the most likely of what actually happened so as chuck is led to the 15th floor casey is escorted out one of the fulcrum guys who has a gun refers to casey as agent casey so he knows their cover has been blown he grabs the gun and knocks the agents out then he takes one of their ids he heads up the stairs from the second floor so it's Probably going to take him a while to get to floor 15. Also, Sarah and Jill let Casey know that he's not going to be able to just waltz on to floor 15. He has to find an inn. So he disappears for a while. I wonder what he's going to do. Meanwhile, Chuck is introduced to Bill, who immediately reveals that he knows who Chuck and his dad really are. Chuck hands over his wire. So Sarah tells Casey she's going in. Jill says Sarah has to take Jill with her. And Sarah asks how she knows she can trust Jill. Jill says, you don't, but you need me, which is very reminiscent of Emmett's line to Morgan earlier. As you said, hopefully this doesn't go the same way. Sarah and Jill make it to the 15th floor, but at that point, and not before, security seems to either recognize Jill or recognize that these two civilian women shouldn't be in there, so they trigger the alarm. Bill leaves Chuck in the hands of his two guards and runs out to help, as we have a pretty cool action scene scored to, like, the we're not gonna take it. I don't know if that's what it's called, but that song. Um, which was did happen earlier in the episode when the Buy More employees were misbehaving. This song was also playing, so now it's playing again. It's a nice musical callback. Chuck promises the guards he won't try to escape, but he does duck for cover when Casey arrives posing as a window washer and shoots through the window, taking out the guards. 
considering all things considered, Casey did that really fast. I don't know how he got like scaffolding and a window washer uniform and got up to the roof and everything. Like that's he did a really good job. He says, "Yes, I passed that test." So Casey qualified to be a window washer fulcrum. Not yeah, much else. great. Casey runs into the hallway to help Sarah while Chuck gets on Bill's computer to find out where they're holding his dad. Meanwhile, downstairs, the Fulcrum agents are either fighting Sarah or trying to destroy all their hard drives, etc. In that commotion, Jill escapes, and Sarah notices that Jill has escaped. However, Jill is uh, sneaking around a hallway, and she overhears that they're moving Orion to something called Blackrock. She sneaks into another hallway, where she also overhears Chuck screaming for help. It turns out that Chuck isn't actually in total danger himself. Bill tried to kill Chuck, but when Chuck did the Morgan... Remember that? Maybe you don't. It's the thing where he covers his face and and his groin area. When uh, when he did that, Bill slipped on some broken glass and slid out the window, not unlike one might in a Final Destination film. <laughs> Even though Bill was literally just trying to kill him, Chuck dives out the window to try to save Bill because that's a horrible way to die. Bill is surprised and agrees to tell Chuck where his father is. Just as he's starting to slip, Jill rushes in and helps Chuck. Unfortunately, Bill's sleeve rips and he falls to his death. <laughs> and we see it. Like, I mean, we don't see him hit the ground, but we see like uh, probably like a dummy or something falling. Yeah, it was one of those moments uh, similar to when Vincent took the cyanide capsule where you're like, wow, this is kind of weirdly graphic and disturbing yeah. for Chuck. But well, it's a, it is Halloween. It's Halloween. It is the tis the season for tis the season. people falling from buildings. Yep. Chuck is traumatized by this, but not that much because he tells Jill they have to get to his dad. She agrees and says he's on the eighth floor, so they run. I know we got a tweet about Sarah not shooting to kill recently, but in this episode, Casey and Sarah are definitely taking the Fulcrum people out, like, right in the face. They reconnect on whatever floor Sarah is on, I don't remember at this point, uh, while Jill and Chuck run down to the eighth floor. Chuck yells, Dad, even though uh, that would probably reveal their presence and prevent them from being able to be sneaky. I don't know why he does that right away, but I guess it doesn't matter because no one is there. Jill reveals she overheard the agent say they were taking Orion to Blackrock, and Chuck flashes, telling her he knows where that is. Jill is surprised and asks how he knows, but Chuck doesn't tell her. Done with their fight, Sarah asks Chuck where he is, and he tells them he's on the eighth floor. Before they can get to him, he takes out, like, a a pocket knife like really shitty looking scissors and he cuts off jill's ankle monitor <laughs> it's, like it's definitely not that easy that's definitely like like she could have just done that if that was that how easy it was i i think we should take yeah. note of that so when i have to cut off your ankle <laughs> monitor after you're freed from prison for a temporary stint i will uh i'll make note of that i'll, I'll bring my swiss army knife great yes please bring your swiss army knife he, uh, Chuck also gives Jill the engagement ring, uh, so she has something to sell to get her started since she doesn't have any money and probably has to use a fake name, etc., etc. He says he always dreamed of giving her a ring, but not like this, which I remember liking the first time I watched this. Some of the reviewers that I read thought that this was a little too on the nose, but I'll, I'll leave that for you all to decide. And Jill's like, Jill, Jill is a free house elf now. And Chuck's like, yes, <laughs> you're free now that I've given you the ring. And Jill's like, oh. Master has given me clothes. <laughs> uh, she asks if he, she asks Chuck if he's sure he can trust the government and he doesn't answer. She runs. Back in the Bymore, Emmett gives Big Mike a green shirt and welcomes him back to Gen Pop as sad music plays, which I guess the sad music is supposed to be uh, The Godfather Part 3. 
what is gen pop? General population. Oh. I think it's I I think of it as like a prison term, but I don't know if that's exactly where it comes from. Okay. Let me, let me look that up right now. I mean, when um, you go to prison, it will make more sense for you. Yes, should, well, you should course, brush up yes, on the okay, terminology. So the first result is prison slang from the prison break wiki. Okay. And gen pop means general population, the main line, prisoners who can mix with other prisoners. Okay. So there you go. Interesting. Okay. So sad music, Godfather Part 3, Big Mike approaches Morgan and kisses him square on the lips. He says he knows it was Morgan, and Morgan has broken his heart. He and the other Buy More employees, including a man who I have never seen before in my life, but I want to know more about him, cross their arms and watch Morgan slink away sadly. Big Mike says he doesn't want anything to happen to Morgan while he and Morgan's mother are dating. You seen The Godfather, Chris? I have not. Okay, well, I was going to ask you. I assume it seems like something that you would have seen. Well, th- I'll watch it while I'm in prison. It's probably playing all the time there. I don't think you could really watch movies in prison, but if you can, go for it. I think they have movie nights. That's not a joke. I think that I think that happens. Well, um, haven't you seen the end of Paddington 2? Because they perform a whole musical. <laughs> all the prisoners get together and perform a musical. No, I think I've only seen the beginning of Paddington 1 on a bus ride. Great. Well, it's a good film. Both good films. We have a kind of coolly edited scene where Beckman tells Sarah and Casey that she's shutting down the Human Intersect Project and taking Chuck into protective custody. She says that Chuck trusts Sarah, so she should use that, telling him the CIA has intercepted Orion and he's waiting for Chuck in Castle. Meanwhile, we see Chuck in the Bymore getting some keys from the nerd herd desk. As Morgan laments that he trusted the wrong person and Chuck completely ignores him, Sarah enters. She comes up to Chuck and tells him exactly what Beckman told her to say, and Chuck reacts by thanking her, saying he was beginning to think he couldn't trust her. Sarah looks at him, but we don't hear what she says next. Instead, we cut to Casey readying his trank gun and watching their conversation on security camera. Sarah looks over her shoulder at the camera, then hugs Chuck for a suspiciously long time, I think. She tells him to take off his watch because it's all a lie and they have to run. He does that. Casey doesn't exactly see this, but he does sort of look suspicious as he watches them. Also, I want to note here that Sarah keeps saying the castle when usually they just say castle, and I thought that was weird. What is she up to? I thought maybe she was trying to signal him, but I think she was just calling it the castle. I think they're, uh, they're, it's inconsistent sometimes. We cut to Sarah and Chuck driving in a car in the dark, so I have to assume it's been a while since the between these two scenes, and Casey definitely knows they're not coming to Castle by now. True to L.A. traffic, though, they still seem to be in L.A. proper. Chuck reminds Sarah she's committing treason and could go to prison. She says she knows, and that's the end of the episode. So something I wanted to discuss here. Do you think that Sarah was always going to do this, or do you think that it was the fact that Chuck said, I knew I could trust you, that pushed her over the edge. I think we are led to believe that she made a, she, she changed her mind in the moment and she okay. was acting spontaneously. I feel like, I don't know, I feel like that's, that's fine for what we know of her, but I feel like Chuck would be disappointed by that. Like, I feel like Chuck would want it to have been that she, like, came up there and she was like, I'm going to play my part and then I'm going to, like, hug you and then actually tell you what's going on. Yeah. I feel like Chuck would be betrayed. But both you and I know Chuck has impossible standards, <laughs> especially <laughs> when point. it comes to Sarah. So I think, you know, whatever Sarah does, she's she damned if she does, if she's damned if she doesn't. So 
It's a good point. Chuck is a, a very harsh, harsh judge. Yes. Season two, episode 20, Chuck versus the first kill. So here's a couple of things that I wanted to uh, throw out there. Um, this is just something I found interesting. The director, Norman Buckley, also directed Chuck versus Tom Sawyer. So I thought that made sense considering like the action and musical sequences. I thought that this, um, like Chuck versus Tom Sawyer obviously had like a heavy musical influence. Mm -hmm. And this one had some recurring musical motifs, some interesting action scenes that involved the music. So I thought that was cool. Bill Berge, the, uh, the fulcrum man, the fulcrum interrogator who fell out the window, um, is a reference to a football player who played 12, 12 seasons with the Cincinnati Bengals and the Philadelphia Eagles. So we have another um, of the Chuck Ryder's challenges to uh, name characters after football players. Mm -hmm. Another thing I wanted to note and maybe discuss with you is that a, the reviewer who uh, wrote weekly reviews about this as it was airing for the AV Club says, Gone are the days of Chuck trying to even just slightly appease new viewers and the days of pleasing longtime fans have arrived. So I was wondering if you agreed with that. That they're not even making. Well, it's kind of I mean, it's the end of the season, basically. So yeah. it would be kind of silly to be doing anything that is even forward facing, outreaching to new viewers, you know? Yeah. Um, that like, yeah, it's the end of the season. Like you should have enough to work with from the first 20 episodes of the season that you can just refer back to them and, you know, just assume that the, the viewer knows what you're doing with Jill and yeah. and Chuck's dad and Fulcrum and everything. Like, I don't know if that's necessarily true moving into the beginning of the third season. Like, I'm sure we'd probably mm -hmm. see a maybe kind of resurgence of making the beginnings of the episodes more palatable to general audiences, the gen pop, if you will. But <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's an interesting take on it. What do you think? Yeah, I thought I, there were a couple, um, there were a couple comments in the reviews that I read that were along these lines. And one of the really interesting things, which obviously is a perspective that we no longer have is that a lot of the reviewers were talking about at this point, NBC had not announced whether or not they were going to be renewing Chuck for a third season. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the reviewers are unsure if this is like they're going out with a bang or if they're going to get a third season. So it was that's an interesting perspective that we don't really have because we know how long Chuck continued. No, but it was I mean, I, back in the day, I was I would have been living that in real time. And it was co yeah. a constant uh, worry <laughs> being a Chuck fan. You're like, this could be the end of Chuck. I don't know. Is going to get another season? End. It was crazy. Yep. Uh, I yeah. feel like I got to explore that more in subsequent episodes, but. Yeah, we definitely will. Um, one thing that I found very interesting is less um, less a fact about the episode and more just a feature of IMDb that I didn't know existed. Mm -hmm. IMDb has something called plot keywords, which is um, a list of words that I guess are appear in the episode or themes that appear in the episode. So I just wanted to read some of these to you because I um, there's 11 and I think it's pretty fascinating what imdb chose okay so we have trust that is um <laughs> here's here's one thing um about imdb keywords you can click is this relevant and then you can vote on whether or not that's relevant so i guess let's play the game do you think trust is relevant uh yes very relevant okay number two on this list kissing do you think oh. kissing is relevant um i don't 
think so. Well, a big Mike kisses Morgan, but there's no other like Chuck doesn't kiss Sarah at all, right? Nope. Okay, so kissing not not, not relevant. relevant. Shootout. I would say yes, yes. Definitely. Prison. Yes. Okay. In-laws. In-laws. Um I guess kind of, I guess, right? This one seems a little bit of a reach. It's definitely a little bit of a reach because they're only in that one scene and Jill will never see her parents again. But um, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. Okay. Escape. Escape. Yes, because Jill escapes and then Chuck and Sarah escape. Okay, here's party. Party. Um, Yeah, I will because the buy more folks party, but then also they have the engagement party as well. Yes. Okay. Uh, cliffhanger. Oh, absolutely. I'm gonna go with yes. Yeah. Okay. Ankle monitor. <laughs> <laughs> um. Although this is weird, I don't know who submits these. Although present in the episode, I don't think it's a major plot point, so I'm gonna say no. Okay. Uh, hugging. Hugging. Yes, because Sarah has a significantly long hug. With That's Chuck. true. Yes. And then the last one is handcuffs. Um. That's yeah, similar to the ankle monitor. They're there, but it's yeah. not it's not a key to the uh, the plot. I also want to note that the order of these, they are sorted automatically by IMDb in order of relevance. I love so it. So kissing is the number two relevant item in this plot. This is great. I think we should continue to tap into this resource in, yes, in future viewings. Yes, me too. Viewings. I completely agree. This is wonderful. Fun little game right there. Uh, yes. We all- Another game that we can play is It's a Sign. Yes, It's a Sign, but not just any sign. It's a Sign uh, Strength Leadership Group Edition, a.k.a. Fulcrum. Yes. All the fun signs that we saw in the Fulcrum office. So I have a couple that I want to highlight, but if you if you want to go first as I plug my computer in, I would love for you to take the lead. Okay. Uh, I think the signs, you know, they all of them kind of have like very... Um, I don't know what's the word looking like, but the word I'm looking for, like boilerplate kind of like men in suits. And there's they're very drone like yeah, they're kind of like art deco a little bit. Yeah, um, they just have they're kind of like sarcastic, inspirational posters that are themed to yes. be the strength leadership group. One might call them demotivational posters. Some, Would one call them that? Yeah, sort of. Uh, okay. My first one I saw was Leadership First. Yes. Do you have one? Yeah. Um, well, I I want to say I want to say the best one. Okay, what's that? Well, I I don't I I feel like we should build up to it. Okay, I'm gonna say I have one. So they have they have art that's I don't know if this counts exactly as a sign or a poster. But they have art that just says City of New York, Municipal Airports. <laughs> I saw that one, too. And I was like, oh, it seems like that was just something that was like in some kind of st- like prop yeah, warehouse somewhere. They're like, oh, we can hang that up. That yep. looks good. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. What's your next one? Leadership makes a strong organization. Oh, good. OK, I think. OK, I think that one actually said strong leadership makes strong organizations or else there are two different signs that say similar things. OK, you're probably right. Okay, and here is the aforementioned favorite of mine, which says, let's put a dent in our world. And what does that mean? Shows a man in a suit, like taking something and smashing it into a globe. Yeah. So like that seemed directly related to Fulcrum, like wanting to mess things up. But um, I I don't know how it's relevant to leadership at all. I don't know how it makes sense in that context. Well, I think if you think about it, like 
tech companies are like all about disrupting industries and things like that. You know, like they're okay, really all right. Oh, I'll, I'll buy that. Uh, all another sign that I saw that I liked was none of us is as smart as all of us. Okay, I saw that sign, but I couldn't read what the top of it says. So now, now thank you for, um, thank you for clarifying that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I appreciate those signs because they kind of added to the character of the setting. Um, and then also our segment where Aaron and I use our very expensive uh, college degrees to to analyze this episode in depth. I think Aaron wanted to lead this discussion. Oh, uh, well, I don't know about lead this discussion. Um, I just found this episode of uh, the theme of trust to be very interesting. Um, it was a recurring motif in um, a lot of different ways, some of them more heavy handed than others. And I also wanted to discuss the use of dramatic irony in this episode. So um, like like a teacher saying, hey, what do you think about this, guys? I'm going to toss it to you now. <laughs> what do you think, Chris? <laughs> do you have any examples like to kind of get the, the wheels moving and the old noggin? Well, I think um, the... The most immediate thing to me is the example of dramatic irony when um, Sarah is, when Chuck is telling Sarah that he knows he could trust her and we know that he can or that at least according to Sarah's instructions, he can't trust her. Mm-hmm. So I think that's interesting. I think um, the scene where Emmett is watching, uh, looking into the home theater room and we see that not all is as it seems. Um I think there are, are several examples in this episode where we know things are happening that the characters don't, and it creates a little bit of tension. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the like the scene we were talking about where Jill says goodbye to her parents. Her parents yep. don't know that she's going away forever. Yep, that's definitely one. Um, Casey watching Sarah and Chuck and seeming a little suspicious. They don't... I mean, Sarah might suspect that he's doing that, mm. but they don't know exactly what he's thinking or doing i don't know if this counts as dramatic irony but uh emmett you know tricking morgan into you know knowing that big mike would say something incriminating about himself in the recorder is that that's kind Um, of like irony because in that moment like you know where it's going yeah i mean I'll, i'll let you have it because yeah we we do kind of suspect where it's going like it's not it's not as clear cut as if we had seen like afterwards and it go, ha ha ha. But like we, yeah, we have suspicions. So I'll, yeah. I'll give you a, I don't know if I was, if I was grading your, your test, I'd, I'd give you a, a solid B for that. Okay. That's fine. I mean, I, I think I do have other, like the parents example. That's an A plus example. Yes. So dramatic irony. It's an important device in this episode. Yeah. And it's a good device for establishing tension and making things feel very dramatic because you want to tell the cu- uh, tell the customer something. You want to tell the character something, but you can't because they're fictional and in the television. Yes. <clears throat> so, uh, so moving on to a relevant segment, I would say, uh, would you like to explain Chuck Mary Kill? Uh, well, similar to uh, your AV Club reviewer, I'm assuming we don't have too many new folks joining on this episode. But if we do, Chuck Mary Kill, one part of this episode that we want to kill because we didn't like it in one part of this episode that we'd like to take in holy matrimony because we loved it so much. Yeah, so um as I as I was saying, I really liked the theming of this episode. I do agree with the reviewers that some instances of it were more heavy-handed than others. I think they uh really tried to hammer home the themes of trust and 
can Chuck trust the government? Can Chuck trust Sarah? Can Chuck trust Jill? Et cetera, et cetera. But I really liked how the A plots and the B plots mirrored each other. I think that um, we've talked about this before, but sometimes the A plots and the B plots do intersect, but it feels a little bit more forced or it feels like, I don't know, like if the, the time that um, they compared Lester sexually assaulting Anna to um, Chuck witnessing Sarah murder a man um, was a little bit more forced. But this seemed like a realistic, I mean, realistic in as much as the uh, tone of the show allows. I believed that Morgan would be struggling with trusting Emmett. And Chuck would be struggling on a grander scale with trusting the United States government and his CIA handlers. So I thought that was really well done. And uh, I liked the dramatic irony. I think that this episode had a ton of it. Um, we, we named some of the examples, but there are many more that we're probably not thinking of. And that can be effective or can be annoying. And I think in this case, it was effective. So I marry those, mm-hmm. those things. Oh, the uh, dramatic irony with Uncle Bernie coming in. Yeah, because the family like, doesn't you know, know. I think that was the yeah. one I was going to say, and then I forgot. But uh, you got you got it back. You you're you're bumping it up yeah. to an A minus. Yeah. <laughs> um, you just saying that there was a lot of dramatic irony made me think about yeah. it. Um, for my Mary, we kind of touched upon it a little bit with the it's a science segment, but I wanted to marry the fulcrum office, um, specifically the art design. Okay, I like what they did by making the the set and the decorations kind of look like a heightened version mm-hmm. of a normal office, but it's just twisted enough just ever so slightly that it accurate, accurately represents Fulcrum. Yep. Um, I thought it was kind of cheeky and fun that Fulcrum would kind of have this like art deco office that, you know, to the untrained eye looks like a normal office. But when you realize that's Fulcrum also dramatic irony again, I guess um, that it's, it actually represents Fulcrum. Um, but also I wanted to also shout out the entire ac- uh, action sequence that happens mm-hmm. in the fulcrum office because I felt like we hadn't had like a really cool action sequence sequence in a while. Mm-hmm. And I just really enjoyed this one because I felt like it was really, I mean, for lack of a better term, action packed. Like Casey has a shotgun yeah. and blows out a window, yeah. which you don't usually see. Yeah. And they're diving and they're shooting and they're taking out fulcrum agents and. I just thought it was uh, a very fun sequence. Yeah, I I would agree that it was pretty fun. And it was, um, I did, a surprise for me was when the um, test proctor woman, my my uh, my trainer, as, as mm-hmm. I said, um, comes out and Sarah is there with a gun. And I assumed that they were about to have one of Chuck's trademark lady fights. Oh, but yeah, then, yeah, uh, yeah. Casey just shoots her in the head. So that didn't happen. I don't know if that was was, um, (laughs) intentional as supposed to be like we were supposed to expect that to happen and then it doesn't and that's a point of humor or if it was just like something that happens, but it was funny. I was expecting that I was thinking that they were going to go in that direction and then have like uh, Jill and Sarah team up. Oh, that would be pretty cool. Lady for super lady fight. But that's not what they did. Yeah, that would have been cool, though. I would have been on board with that. So for my kill... Um, I just, I just want to say, I think they could have done better than Obama Guava. I don't think that's my, my suggestion is along those lines, but, uh, Barack Guava, that's better, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah Obama Guava is not, not great. That's not really anything. There's just words that kind of sound similar. Yeah. I had to replay it a couple of times because I'm like, did they just say Obama Guava? Yeah, they did. Or did they say, yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. Yep. So that's my kill. Small one. Uh, 
my kill is equally small and equally stupid. Uh, I wanted to kill the reference to Weekend at Bernie's because mm-hmm. I just saw it coming from a mile away. Yeah. It was dumb. I'm usually fine with the pop culture references, but this one just, I think it made me groan. Like <laughs> it was so predictable and so on the nose. I was like, uh, so I could have gone without that. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll agree with you there. I, I mean, would you have had them name him something else or would you have had him just not like, because he has to die. Um, yeah, I'd have them name something else because just the name Bernie just kind of stuck in my head. Yeah. I mean, I was picturing Bernie Sanders for a lot of <laughs> a lot of the time before they introduced him, which was amusing. But they're like, Bernie can't go anywhere to I'm like, yeah, he he has Secret Service. Um, he's almost as famous as the Scooter Scale. <laughs> Scooter Scale is our ranking system here at Go Chuck Yourself. Mm-hmm. Zero to five corn dogs. Um, why don't you why don't you share your corn dogs? With right. Us, OK, um, I'm going to give this episode a four. I think okay. uh, I enjoyed this episode. I in I mean, I married the theming and the dramatic irony, and that's basically everything that happened in this episode. Um, I think that the scene with Jill's family was massively underwritten, as we have already discussed. And I think that the um, dig at Anna's wardrobe was unnecessary, but otherwise there was not anything too egregious going on, and I think it was just generally enjoyable. I liked the fight. I liked... Um, even though I didn't completely understand the premise of the test taking, I liked Casey's kind of redemption arc. I think that the Morgan, like the continued references to like the Morgan were, was a little bit silly, but I did like that Chuck's first kills were both accidental. I think that it's kind of interesting that they're like really hammering home. Like there was, no way in either of those kills in which you could really blame Chuck. Like, they were both accidental, but even, like, the man who fell out the window, like, they established that, like, that man was going to murder Chuck. So, like, Chuck has really no culpability in either of these kills, like, e- even beyond them being accidental. Like, they were both really bad people, and they hammered that home. So that's a little heavy-handed, but it also is kind of interesting to think of, like, how some of the reviewers mentioned it, like, how this will proceed for Chuck if it's if all of his kills are always going to be like this or if he's going to actually have to get into like some morally mm-hmm. gray areas in the future so I liked it I'll give it a four okay I also had a four written down and I was kind of questioning it throughout this episode because mm-hmm. I felt like as we were talking about it I realized that this episode's a lot dumber than <laughs> I thought it was when I was watching That's it fair. um but I, I guess I'll stick with the four because okay. I did enjoy the episode I think it was a little light mm-hmm. just in terms of the plot but um, I really enjoyed the third act. I, I en- it was interesting seeing Jill again, and I appreciated the ac- the action sequence. As I said, um, I think the the closing scene's great, and it leaves me wanting to to see what happens. That cliffhanger, you got me. You know, I'm invested that Sarah is uh, being emotional and doing this yeah. thing for Chuck. You know, are they going to find Chuck's dad? Are they? Is Casey going to have to hunt them down? What's going to happen? Are they going to kiss? Um, Maybe. I mean, kissing is the number two word for the IMDb. Yes, it is. But uh, I, I, too, am glad that there was nothing egregiously bad in the B-plot, even though the B-plot was not, um, you know, free of blemishes. Well, I've I've just uh, developed some hiccups, so I think we'd better end this episode sooner rather than later. Uh, so I think in the interest of curing your hiccups, Aaron, you should probably hold your breath and I will... Uh, wrap up this episode Aaron is holding her breath she's not breathing you can see it yep look at that uh season two episode 20 Chuck versus the first kill thank you for listening 
Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on this uh, Halloween episode of Go Check Yourself. We have we hope you have a, a very spooky time. Uh, have some candy. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week for episode 21. Getting real close to the end of season two, that is. Uh, my name is Chris Gillespie. Reminding you that food is sexy. Now, Aaron, it seems like you can probably breathe now. <gasps> okay. Uh, I- my name is Aaron Arata. Reminding you that anything is possible. And I have one thing to say to you to end this episode. To me or to the Just listener? Just to anyone listening. Okay. Chirp, chirp. Chirp, chirp. Scene, end of scene. Hot. We'll now be accepting our suggestions for the next word. Uh, where's where's a place that you least expect to encounter your grandma? <laughs> Just shout it out. Anyone? 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 Ooh, a strip club. That's a great suggestion. Okay, we'll get ready to start. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to freemusicarchive.org and the artist Hadakoa for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. Make sure to email us at gochuckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com and tweet at us at gochuckpodcast. Remember to like and subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and write a review if that's something you need to do. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.